0: isn't it true jesus is a friend forever have you found that you may be seated hallelujah let's thank our musicians this morning amen that's it wonderful excellent what a blessing they are to us aren't they wonderful blessing And to be together, what a joy it is to be in the family of God in days like this, just to encourage one another and to be His family, His body, raising our voice in praise to Him. There's nothing like it. There really isn't. Well, this morning we're continuing in this series of messages that we've been in for several weeks now. Making Our Lives Count, and I want to begin this morning by saying that we, when we're thinking about making our lives count, we must never fall into the trap of thinking that we have to move away tens of thousands of miles to the ends of the earth to try and find some unreached people group. God calls people to do that. He calls individuals to go to the ends of the earth, but for the majority of us, we are just going to be here in this locality, serving Jesus faithfully, being his body and expressing his life in and around the communities in which we live. So what does it mean to make our lives count here? where we are, in the homes in which we live, amongst the communities in which we are in. What does it mean for you as a person to make your life count for Christ? We've been looking at that in Romans chapter 16. But let me just give you some ideas as to what really it means to make your life count as we begin again here to look at this this morning what does it mean practically for you well it could mean that if you're a mum and dad that you give your life tirelessly to bring your children up in the ways of the lord that's making your life count right there that's serving jesus with your life just to faithfully parent your children and bring them up in the ways of the Lord. That's making your life count. Or it could be just being a patient parent. Your children or your child now no longer feels it necessary to follow the course that has been set out before them faithfully by you. And therefore now you've entered a different season within your family, within your parenting, over their life, and you're having to exercise patience as they try to find their direction in life, they might be making choices out of sync with what you've taught them. To make your life count, you may have to resolve and choose to pray faithfully, For that child that's wandering, for that child that is forsaking the way that you faithfully taught them, that's making your life count. As much as a missionary that travels to the ends of the earth to find that unreached people group, you're making your life count when you're patient, when you're with your children, faithfully praying over them over their future, over their lives, that Jesus would save them by His grace. Or it could be, as I mentioned last week, just faithfully turning up at work. When everybody else is criticizing the company, you're being a faithful employee to serve those who are over you and who are Handling great pressures and great responsibilities that nobody else carries in the company. Oh, it's easy to criticize the boss. It's easy to criticize your manager. But you don't see the stress and the, the impact of the pressures that they're facing on their life. When you faithfully turn up at work and everybody else is talking bad about the boss and you just faithfully honor them with your service and with your life and with your time, that's making your life count. That's shining for Christ where you are. It could be just being a loving, caring neighbor to somebody at the end of your street or on another street that nobody bothers with. You just faithfully, maybe week after week, Visit them, make them some food, offer your kindness to them. Well, I'd say there's enough in the Bible to support that as making your life count. You look through the Word of God and you'll see that littered throughout the New Testament, just caring for others, looking out for those who are around you, being kind, that's making your life count. In God's economy, or being a friend to another person that needs your help, going through a difficult time, needs your encouragement, needs that phone call, needs that text, no longer attending church. For whatever reason, But you don't abandon them because they don't come to church anymore. You just keep faithfully encouraging them. You don't put any pressure on them. You don't say, where were you last Sunday? No, you just, you're there for them. In the good times, in the bad times, in the up times, in the down times, in the light times, in the dark times, you're there. You're a consistent friend, just like Jesus is there for you. And for me, you're there for them. And whether they're here or whether they're struggling to get here, at this moment in time, it matters not to you because the love of Christ constrains you to to keep that contact alive and to encourage them and to be a blessing to them. Or you may never go to the ends of the earth to reach that unreached people group, but you can be a friend, you can make a call, you can send a text, and you can keep that lifeline open to that person that feels on the fringe at the moment. That's making your life count for Christ. Encouraging one another with the Word of God. Making your life count is when husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church and has laid his life down for it. That's making your life count right there. As a husband loving your wife, as Christ has laid down his life for the church, so you lay your life down for your wife as the Scriptures... Exhort us to do, as Paul exhorted the church at Ephesus to do. Or it could be as a wife submitting to your husband as unto the Lord. That's making your life count. Or, as Paul goes on to say, submitting to one another as unto the Lord. You see, there are many, many ways in which our lives can count for Christ as we just simply follow the admonitions of the Word of God. And our life becomes so enriched, our life becomes so fulfilled, our life becomes so fruitful and flourishes on all, all levels Making your life count can be getting up every day, deciding that whatever the new day brings, that in everything you will give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You see, it's simple resolves like this lived out where we are that make our lives count for Jesus. Make our lives count for Him and for the people that are around us. Now, as we turn again today to Romans chapter 16, we're going to look at this final group of people that Paul is honoring. And as Paul commends them, We get this amazing sense that all of the people that he's commending loved Jesus with all of their hearts. They loved his church, they loved the work that they were called to do. Let's read about this final group that Paul is commending in Romans chapter 16, and we're going to read from verse 11 through to verse 16. Paul says this, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncretus, Philegon, Hermas, Protobus, Hermas, and the brethren who are with them, greet Philogus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, in this great list of loved ones throughout Romans chapter 16. We've seen over the weeks that in this great catalog of people that Paul is commending and honoring, there's servants of the church, there's helpers of many, there's fellow workers and hard-working people laborers. And it's an obvious observation that the hallmark of this great company of people that Paul is honoring is that they all have a tireless spirit to serve Jesus with everything that they are and all that they have. Nobody is telling them to do this Nobody is commanding these people to do what they are doing. How is it possible for these people to have such a tireless spirit to serve Jesus in their day and generation with everything that they are and all that they have? It can only be that they have seen Jesus, not physically but they understand what he has done for them. They understand, and it breaks ever into their mind, the great sacrifice that he had given for their lives. And in response to that, all they can do is give their life in tireless service unto him. And so they committed their lives You look through the list of over 30 names in this incredible chapter, Romans chapter 16, and you see that nobody is flagging. Nobody is backing off. Everyone is just finding great fulfillment and joy in laying down everything that they are for the cause of Christ, the building of the church, and the spreading of the gospel in The world. I believe in the days in which we live, the Spirit of God is going to give us an ever-increasing revelation of who Jesus Christ is, what He's done, what He's doing, and what He is going to do in and through our lives. And with that, ever-increasing revelation of who Jesus is, it's going to generate a tireless spirit within his church, within his body, within his people to rise up in this world and work great works of love, great service of unconditional love to the communities and the cities and the villages and the towns, in which we live. And His light is going to shine through every single one of us. We're not going to be backing off. We're not going to be flagging in spirit the very power of God, the same the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is going to quicken our mortal bodies to rise up and be a blessing wherever we are, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's out socially with people in the world in which we live, whether it's in our families. There's going to be a magnetism about the church of God in the days in which we live, and is going to be the company of God's people. And we're going to see the rising up of of, of many different varied gifts and all of these gifts are going to be held together by the hand of Jesus. And the gospel is going to go forth through this nation again. It really is. And we're going to look round, and we're going to see the church here and the church there and the voice of believers at every level of society. This country isn't without hope, I'll tell you why, because Jesus is still building this church. we got great hope for this country, hallelujah. Jesus is with his people, and he's empowering us with his life and his spirit. No, none of the people in this great list of believers that Paul is commending are flagging, backing off. No, they're finding their fulfillment and their joy in serving Jesus with their lives. It was a great pastor and civil rights activist, Dr. Martin Luther King, who once said, everyone is capable of greatness if they are willing to serve another person. Imagine that, that great black pastor Standing up in the middle of hatred, standing up in the middle of a tide of violence for which he ultimately gave his life for, standing up, willing to serve those that hated him, willing to love unconditionally all of those white people that were so hostile and so vile, in their comments towards him and his brethren. Everyone is capable of greatness if they are willing to serve another person. And here Paul is commending a great company of people in Rome because they have devoted their lives to Jesus and as a result they're devoting their lives to one another and that's spilling out into the world in which they live. In verse 12, Paul starts out by greeting Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis, commending them as ladies who had toiled and labored much in the Lord. These ladies had toiled, labored, and worked, listen, to the point of exhaustion. You don't do that if somebody is looking over your shoulder telling you what to do. No, they had a revelation of Christ. Christ in them, the hope of glory. Their their minds were filled with a love and an affection and a devotion to Jesus, their resurrected Lord and Savior. What else could they do but abandon their lives to His service? toiled and worked to the point of exhaustion. That's what the phrase labored much means in the Greek language. That's the picture that's being painted. Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis. Persis' work in the Lord had not gone unnoticed. They weren't doing it to be noticed. Usually you find this with people In the local church, they're just serving. They're just doing all they can with the time that they have working in the church, and they're not doing it to be noticed. They just love the Lord, and the outflow of loving the Lord is a devotion to His house and to the service of His people and to others, and they just get in there. These people, these women aren't doing it to be noticed. They're just loving God in what they're doing, but their work doesn't go unnoticed because they're working for Jesus, and their hard work had become their habit of life. It was a a consistent trait of who they were, service to others, service to their Lord, service to the world in which they lived had become... The priority above all other priorities. And what's insightful about their names or the names Tryphena and Tryphosa is that they suggest that they were probably of aristocratic background. These women were born to a socially elite class of people. That's the caliber of character of these two particular ladies. They had aristocratic backgrounds. They belonged to the socially elite. Now, last week we looked, if you remember, at two men that Paul commended named Ampliatus and Urbanus. And Ampliatus and Urbanus were just common slaves considered by Rome to be nothing more than animals. They were the lowest of the low of the social class of that day. Yet Paul, the apostle, a citizen of Rome, called them beloved, and he honored them as fellow workers. Paul used unthinkable expressions of love, and affection towards these brothers who had been discarded and rejected by Rome. So Paul honors those who are at the lowest of the low on the, on the bottom rung of the social structure of Rome when he honored Ampliatus and Abanus. And now he's honoring two women At the other side of the spectrum, you see, Christ brings us all together. He brings the the lowly together with those who have high influence. And they're all one and the same. And that's what's wonderful and beautiful about God's family. These two women are among the social elites of their day Trifena and Trifosa would have been we could assume financially secure they would have had no need to work yet these sisters found their joy and fulfillment in working with all of their hearts for the lord and for his people laboring with all of their strength to the point of exhaustion. These two ladies could have been living in the lap of luxury, but instead of living in the lap of luxury and living a life of ease, they took their opportunity, they seized their moment to give everything they were into the work of God. There's only one life. There's only one opportunity that all of us have. They seized their opportunity to make their time productive, fruitful, and flourish when they chose to work for God. They had no need to work. They were financially secure. They were among the elite, the elite, and yet they chose to give their time into the work of God of the lord laboring with all of their strength to the point of exhaustion these women were like a team of horses strong resilient able to do god's work do you know if you look up the names triphena and triphosa the 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 actual Greek words behind those two names are delicate and dainty. Delicate and dainty. Well, they were delicate and dainty in name only. Because these ladies, my God, when they put their shoulder to the plow, they were going to plow some ground. They worked and worked and labored. And sweat for the kingdom of God and they did it not under obligation they did it with all of their strength and saw it as a privilege because they were captivated by what Jesus had done for them you do not give your time you do not strain and and give your life's blood and sweat for a cause outside of your own self unless you've seen something that that eclipses everything that you've ever known. That's what they saw. Jesus. They fixed their eyes on him. And in fixing their eyes on him, they gave everything in selfless abandonment for his purpose. Listen. Listen. I'm going to say it again, and I've already said it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, sometimes it's good to tap yourself on the back, isn't it? And I, th- I think we can do that as a church. I do. I- I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled, humbled many times just to see the people that just work tirelessly for Christ Christ. And honestly, I could go around and I could name people, but it wouldn't be fair because there are so many that labor, work, through all of the ups and downs of life. They're consistent. Their habit of life, your habit of life in this family is to give your life and your energy into the work of God, and that is what you have done, and you're commended for it in his presence it's wonderful to be able to say that truthfully truthfully that many many in this family and many that are that are not here this morning okay you may be watching hello yeah watching on tv you having a nice egg and toast a bit bacon they're choking on their cup of tea now because they know I'm talking to them. That's it, you, you little tinker. Listen, many who can't be here. Many who can't be here this morning. Faithfully working. Faithfully working. Laboring. It's what Paul calls in One Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty-eight, I believe. People who are steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the lord we have many many through this great family in the king's church what a joy that is next in verse 13 paul expresses his gratitude to a man called rufus and his mother who showed kindness and hospitality to paul and Just to take a little detour for a moment, there's an amazing story around Rufus' life. Because 20 or so years before this commendation that Paul gave to Rufus, Rufus' father Simon was visiting the city of Jerusalem at the time of Passover. Simon had traveled over 700 miles from north africa to bring a sacrifice to celebrate to the feast it was the highlight of every jew's life a great time of festivity a great time of celebration rang out throughout the city and that city called for all of the jews from all of their various places in the world to come together at time of Passover, to celebrate it, and to remember how the Lord had delivered them from a life of slavery in Egypt, led them through the sea and made them His own people, giving them His own land. Rufus was there. Sorry, Simon was there. Rufus's father, to celebrate this great occasion of Passover. Yet on his way into the city to celebrate Passover, a crisis occurred. Simon of Cyrene got caught up in a jeering crowd and a man falls to the ground before him. He can no longer carry his cross. The weight is just too much to bear. The victim's body, he was just a common criminal In Simon's mind at that time, the victim's body was covered from head to foot with lacerations and open bloody wounds. This man falls at the feet of Simon of Cyrene, and suddenly, unable to go on, a Roman soldier singles Simon out and commands him to come forward to carry the cross. Of this common criminal, Simon, having come all of the way from North Africa, had not come to Jerusalem for this he was ready for all of the festivities of Passover. And now he was ordered to carry this man's cross and that order and that command cut right through his plans, cut right through all of his intentions and all of the preparations that he had made. You know, sometimes when you're pulled away from your plans, when you're pulled away from the preparations and intentions that you have and you're called to go in a different direction. Confusion can set in. Anger and even bitterness can be in our heart. Simon had come to celebrate. Simon had come to give his sacrifice but suddenly, now uncontrollable change of direction is forcing him in another way. But little did this man know that he was carrying Messiah's cross. This sovereign encounter on the road to Calvary would change Simon's life forever. He had come to sit at a Jewish Passover, but he went away saved and washed by the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ who gave his life not only for Simon that day on the cross, but for the entire humanity. Carrying Jesus' cross that day Seeing him die, hearing the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, must have changed this man's life forever. And we don't want to overspeculate what Scripture doesn't inform us on. But this man's life must have been changed. Just imagine being the man that carried the very cross of Christ, aiding him and helping him to get to the place where he could ultimately fulfill God's will and purpose for the entire needs of humanity. Returning home He brought his wife and his sons into this same believing experience that he had had himself on Golgotha's hill. Mark, in his gospel, confirms Simon of Cyrene as the father of Of Alexander and Rufus. And commenters point out that Mark was writing his gospel to believers in Rome. Mark was writing his gospel as Peter, the apostle, was dictating it to him. And Peter had a burden and an impulsion by the Spirit of God to write down what he had seen as an eyewitness for Gentile believers in Rome. And commenters point out that Mark, whilst writing to believers in Rome, mentioned Rufus and Alexander. Because whilst the believers at Rome wouldn't have known Simon of Cyrene because possibly he'd passed away by that time, they would know Rufus, and that would give credibility to the witness that Peter was given as Mark was writing down his gospel for them to read. Let me read it to you, Mark fifteen twenty-one to 22. He says this, then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander And Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross, and they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. That was all that Simon of Cyrene needed to see. He'd come for festivity. He'd come to celebrate the Passover But sovereignly, his life, maybe God saw the desire of this man's heart in traveling so far to celebrate that Passover celebration and he just picked him out to carry the cross of his son so that he would witness the Passover lamb, the real Passover lamb that would eclipse all other Passovers for all time and forever. Two great brothers brought up in the faith, believing on Christ. You can read about Alexander, Rufus' brother, in, I believe it's, it's in Acts, when Paul was in Ephesus and there was a great riot and everybody wanted to stone Paul and he had to be rushed out of the city so that his life would be saved. Who stands up in defense of Paul? A man by the name of Alexander. There he is. Highly likely that it was Simon's son. And now Rufus his other son is in Rome, and Paul commends Rufus as chosen, as selected, not because, of his, not because of the heritage that he had in his father, but chosen because he had made a personal decision to follow Jesus, and he commends his mother also and calls her his own mother, a lady, an aged lady that looked after the apostle and showed hospitality. You see, there's many ways in which our lives can count. Acts of kindness. Acts of service towards others. Next, we're getting through them. Paul puts before us five names of men who are probably leaders of small groups of believers in Rome. He says... Greet, in verse 14, greet Asyncritus, Philegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren who are with them. These five names, along with other brethren who were with them, are like shepherds with pastoral hearts, caring for the church of God at large across the city in small Groups And this really pulls back the veil for us as to how the first century church operated in Rome and how not only it operated in Rome, but how it operated throughout the world. They had the large church gathering to celebrate together but they also knew the essential value of meeting one another through the city in their homes together. This was the pattern that was set when the church began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and it just continued on as churches were established throughout the world. Let me read to you just how Luke describes the first few weeks and months as the early church emerged in Jerusalem, how they operated, how they functioned, how they lived together, birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then just the practical day-to-day living that they had, one with another as the church of Jesus Christ. Luke, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47 says this, So continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Luke along with Paul, shows us that the biblical pattern for our lives is to be part of the larger family of believers like we are here today on Sunday, which the Bible calls, in fact, you can read it, the Lord's Day. Sunday is the Lord's Day. That's how the the Word of God talks about Sunday, and that's why we must prioritize the Lord's Day. But this is the Lord's Day where we gather together as a larger family to praise God, encourage one another, and hear the Word of God. But also, we're encouraged to gather together as smaller groups of church in one another's homes, what we would call connect groups. But really, in essence, it's church in the home, in your home, in my home. Isn't it wonderful? And um, just quickly, you know, we met as Connect Group leaders this week. I tell you now, what a wonderful group of leaders we have in this church, Connect Group leaders, leaders with passionate hearts for God's people, for you, loving hearts, pastoral hearts, to care for, and to encourage, and to enrich, and to build up. And come September, over the next few weeks, our connect groups are just having a summer break. But come September, our connect groups are starting up again. And you know what? If you're not part of a connect group, listen. In the months ahead now, I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, to open your heart to this new opportunity to meet in somebody's home. Do you know why? Because you need it. If you can't get here on a Sunday, it just means that you're not going to miss out. You're able to gather in somebody's home that you can fellowship with. They can speak into your life. The wonderful thing is they need you to speak into their life. It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Come September. I want you to be praying. Maybe you maybe you can use your home as a host home and to be a leader of a connect group. It's really simple. You've just got to have the love of Jesus for people in your heart. That's it. And we'll give you you know anything else that you might need, teaching resources and other things. but do you know that aside, you just need to have the love of Jesus in your heart and a willingness to labor and to work for the Lord. And I tell you now that your home will thrive, will be a blessing and your life will be fruitful. I want you to consider that between now and September. Got some exciting things planned for our connect groups, So be a part of that. Then in verse 15, Paul commends a believing family. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, sister are believed to be a prominent family that carried responsibility for looking after others. And Olympus was believed to be their household servant. Just a small family of four, that's all. A small family of four, but they've got Paul's attention. They've got Paul's respect, Paul's honor, and Paul's commendation because this family of four, though they were small, were looking out for the bigger needs of the church family around them. What a wonderful vision for your family. What a wonderful vision and a goal. Remember listening, and I know I'm gonna go over time a bit, but don't worry. Remember listen, listening to a man a few men they said, "You need a vision for your life. You need goals. What goals should I have? Well, you need some financial goals. You need some retirement goals. You need to think about where you're going to spend the rest of your life and how you're going to holiday and how you enough said on that one i don't think any of these people would have been entertaining that kind of conversation because their plans were all wrapped up in his plan amen amen and this family of four were serving the church and the bigger church family around them, they were the people to call if you needed help. This husband and wife with their son and daughter were like a hub of support for the larger believing group around them. And that's why Paul sends his greeting to them and the saints who were with them. This family had an open home for people. Oh, it's wonderful to have Jesus in your life. It's wonderful to be healed by His saving grace. Listen, you might not be able to open your home. Absolutely fine, because you're believing for your family. But I tell you something now, there's people who can't, There's people I know of who can't open their homes at this moment in time. They will. They will. But uh, there's people that can't open their homes at this time because they're believing for their family to receive Christ. But you know what? My God, they labor. They work so hard in the the service of Jesus with their lives. Finally, I want to say this. And it's always really caught me as an unusual verse. Romans chapter 16, verse 16, Paul says something that is radical for the culture that he's living in. He says this, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This is the final comment that Paul makes to the people that he has just commended through this chapter. And for us, it has little meaning. It has little impact on our lives. But in the first century church, the expression of a holy kiss was an incredible demonstration that the love of Jesus had worked so deeply in somebody's heart because this holy kiss expressed that there was no class, there was no distinction, there was no low or high. Everybody was the same. There was no slave, there was no free, there was no male, there was no female, there was no man, there was no woman. All were one in Christ Jesus and amidst a broken world that was disintegrating around them, a holy kiss was given on the side of the head or the forehead to express the unconditional love of God among the church, the body of Christ, the family of God in a world that was dark, in a world that was segregated, in a world that showed many different levels of class system from the slave to the elite, but in Christ's kingdom, amongst his church, amongst his body, All were saved by the same blood and washed in the same forgiveness and given the same access to their loving heavenly Father. And therefore, a holy kiss as Paul exhorted them to give and as Peter exhorted believers to give one another was the expression that our lives are different. Our lives are are one together in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today. You could be listening online. You've never accepted Jesus into your heart. I spoke to a man last week when I was on my bike. We were talking away, his language was colorful. So I pulled my rucksack off my back, opened it up, and as we were talking, I said, oh, mate, I said, I've got something for you. Hand went into the rucksack, and he said, what is it, a Bible? I said, actually, yes. I got it out. I said, you know what? I would love for you to have this Bible. I said, it'll change your life. I said, we all go through ups and downs in life and we've all got questions that are far, far bigger than our answers. But in the Word of God, you'll find an answer for every need that you have in life. It's incredible. He said, well, I don't know about that. I said, listen. I said, give me your hand. I said, do you want to pray a prayer now to ask Jesus Christ into your heart? Oh, I don't know about that, he said. (laughs) I said, come on. I said, it's wonderful. I said, Jesus wants to live in your heart. He said, well, he said, there's so many gods. I mean, who's who? I said, don't worry about all those gods. I said, there's only one God that died on the cross for you, gave his life for you, and will set you free from sin. He said, oh, right. I said, come on, let's pray a prayer, ask Jesus into your heart. I said, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Now, when I go riding, right, I got a little camera, it's called a GoPro. Every, anybody heard of a GoPro? Well, it's an action sport camera, and it means that I can take videos when I'm riding my bike. I've got a YouTube channel, right? And I usually, listen now, I'm going to make it big. I usually get about three or four views on a good day. It's fantastic. I'm going national. Three or four views. You never know. There may be an occasion where it tops five or six But anyway, he saw the camera. He said, you're not filming me, are you? (laughs) I said, mate, I said, I wouldn't do that. I said, come on. I said, you only live once. Pray a prayer asking Jesus into your life. Your life will never be the same. Do you know what? He was ready to rock. Yeah, he said. I'll pray a prayer. I held his hand. We prayed a simple prayer. Gave him a Bible, right? He took it away with him. And... um, that was it we may never cross paths again but oh the joy that's making your life count it's making your life count you're going to leave here today right and yeah it's a bit awkward of course it's a bit awkward right every time it doesn't get easier I'm just kind of I I actually rode up alongside the guy right and uh, I was on my e-bike Right, I got an e-mountain bike and I got a normal bike, normal mountain bike. I got the two. Sometimes I go on the on the e-bike because time is limited. I fly past him. I say, and this is how it started, right? How are you, mate? Right? He nearly jumped off his bike over the hedge, and that's when the colourful language started, right? What the? He said, "You scared the life out of me." And there was an ing on the end of it. Right? You scared the life out of me, he said. That's how the opportunity was disguised for me to have a moment with this man to lead him to Christ. Listen, you're going to leave this building today. Opportunities all around us. They may never come into this church. They may never be a part of our family. But I tell you something now, the moment that you reach out to them, it could be that time when their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And they'll be part of that great company as, as we will be with Jesus one day. There's so many ways in which we can make our lives count for Christ. You may be here today. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. Listen, the Bible just simply says this, believe on the Lord and you shall be saved. You believe, you place your trust in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a young person, if you're an older person. Age does not come into it. I was 15 years of age when I gave my life to Christ and it was the best decision I'd ever made. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Jesus died on the cross for you. He died to save you from sin. He died so that you can stand faultless before the throne of God in his new life, his righteousness. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And whether you're young or old, if you're in this place and you've never asked Jesus into your life, why don't you pray this prayer with me? right now. Don't wait to clean your life up. You'll never do it. Impossible. Jesus just comes in as a new homeowner and just starts every single day just making a little improvement here, a little improvement there. And before you know it, your life's abundant, not faultless, not without its challenges, but your life is full of peace and it's going in a direction under the guidance of God to bring it great fulfillment. I'm going to pray a prayer. Join me right now. If you would like to ask Jesus into your heart, join me in this prayer right now. Quietly in your heart, say this, Jesus, today I believe that you died on the cross for me to take my sin and my shame. Thank you. For saving me I believe that you died I believe also that God raised you from the dead and now I accept new life from you I open my heart to you and I ask you to come into my heart be the home owner of this life let it not be empty anymore but come in Prince of Peace Be my Savior, be my Lord from this day forth. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that all the angels in heaven rejoice with you over that decision. And before you go on your way out, we would love to give you a Bible. It's free of charge, uh, a gospel, the New Testament. We'd love to give you that today on your way out and a small booklet stories of people that are in this church that have encountered God's amazing grace and miraculous power in their lives as they've followed him. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Thank you, Lord, for your word given to your people, whether it's been prophetically or whether it's been instructionally through your word as we've taught it. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've given us direction. And now, Lord, in the months and the years to come, I pray that this seed would come to fruition and our lives, Lord, would be the richer for receiving your word, obeying your word, and working your word out in our lives. And all God's people said, amen.